Professor Julian Hunt, thank you for talking to the implications of regional climate variability on water resources in Africa podcast series today. We're two days into the three-day conference at Cambridge University. Can you give us an overview of how you think the presentations are bringing together all the different research that is going on in that vast continent, Africa? Uh, The papers have uh, demonstrated what we hope would would happen, which is to demonstrate the the great variations of climate change. Um, For example, in northern Ghana and southern Ghana, uh, you're having at the moment uh, rising temperatures and decreasing rainfall on the coasts and something rather different inland, but rising temperatures pretty well everywhere. Um, But it means then that countries will have to have different policies in different parts of the country. Um, So the coastal areas on the east side of Africa... um, are quite wet and moist still, and in those areas, you know, you would, uh, you've got different problems of people concentrating in those areas, dealing with environmental problems. So, so it, it's a, it's a, it's climate change is is not a, a great big global thing, um, uh, with uh, d- defined by computers in 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 the UK uh, and, and uh, defined by money coming from from the United Nations, it's a very, must be dealt with on a very local basis. And, and that's really what struck uh, me about the presentations here, is just how they're bringing together local research data and, and um, emphasising how much we need historically to keep this research data and, and, and to, to move on and find new ways to chart trends. Yes, and, uh, and also to, to uh, mo- motivate uh, these countries to to have the self-confidence, you know, first of all, to take the data and then to work out their own solutions. Um, and as people were saying, as the climate changes, you want to, for example, change the crops, for example, using less rice and more of, so, of some other vegetable. And this is very difficult, but it's only going to be done by people who have great confidence in their knowledge of the, of the country, the, uh, the, the, the state of the environment, and for politicians then to realise this is, this is their solution, their people, they've got to solve it. This is really quite a transformation in the vision of the whole climate change um, debate and, and indeed you know, policy framework. But why are the African countries uh, so vulnerable globally? You know, you're either seeing, as you say, drought or, or flooding. There, there seems to be you know, a threat on either side of the scale. Well, in some parts of Africa, particularly the Sahel, uh, um, it, there has been extraordinary variations uh, of, the, of the boundary between the, the forested areas and the desert areas. This is called the Sahel. And this is because the sort of boundaries move backwards and forwards as the vegetation changes and the whole uh, earth, earth um, the, this, this sort of barrier um, what's called the intertropical convergence zone moves backwards and forwards every year. That's what produces this freak fluctuation of rains, but sometimes you can have patterns that last many years in which uh, you're having more vegetation uh, in those areas like Burkina Faso or much less. So... Um, uh, it's that it's that ver- you know variation. Therefore, you might have might have to have policies and explain to people this is going to be like this for seven years, and then not seven years. One is reminded of the story in the Bible. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it, it, it does sound rather like that. But you you mentioned politicians earlier. Do we th- you think we can have public policies that are devised on a national and regional? Uh, scale to actually help local communities, or, or are, are, are those communities so diverse that you can't find anything to link them? 
Well, I think we, you, know, you link them by this sort of concept that everybody must think of their own climate, they must think of their own solutions. Uh, and, of course, there are uh, people in other countries, um, other parts of Africa, other parts of the world, who are experiencing similar problems. For example, there are sort of similar great changes taking place in China and India. And uh, the advantage of this workshop following the one we had in May in California is that we're seeing some of the similar messages about climate variability and taking climate initiatives through local centres as being the solution. And what do you mean when you talk about climate initiatives? Can they bring about real and sustainable change? Well, the kind of first initiative that we think is important is is to make use of all the current measurements that are going on in uh, of, of the, uh, the weather, the atmosphere, but also the the rivers and also the movement of the the, the cultivation, the land surface. Um, there's, there is such data around, but it, 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 even in Africa, and it's not being exchanged, it's not being available. If governments uh, and decision makers could have access to this in their own countries, um, then they would be able to make more informed decisions. I mean, for example, the African Centre in Niger, which is meant to be an African Centre, actually knows, has very little input from many of the African countries. So do you think this information exchange is one of the major challenges of finding public policy solutions to climate change? Yes, and but I think the, we need to have essentially new, slightly new institutional arrangements at the moment. That this is in, in often governmental bureaucracies, uh, and uh, the suggestion made by indeed, an African colleague, Elsie Owusu, who came to this conference, w- was that if you could set up non-profit um, centres... Uh, which wouldn't actually hold the data, but which would be facilitating, coordinating centres to enable um, decision-makers, uh, investors, farmers to find the data that they require. We just need a, a kind of um, facilitation centre, sort of, you know, um, uh, almost marriage brokers, as it were, <laughs> people just, as it were, to show where the, where the information is. And then these places could then start training people as to how to use it and so on. So I just see new kinds of centres uh, being created in Africa, and that's, that, was an, that was an African's idea. That's the data collection, but out of that, you get innovation, don't you? You get change, and you get new applications to help people, perhaps just simple things like bringing crop rotations forward because monsoons may be earlier, things like that. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, of course, you know, Africa for, uh, has for a long time had, had important centres of agricultural practice, um, and these would be, you know, part of this part of this network. Um, so one of the points of such a such a coordination centre would be to inform people. The other point, of course, is you don't necessarily go to a place. You can ha- now have mobile phones. I mean, we were hearing about India, where you can have computers uh, centres in Bangalore translating advice into 14 different languages. A computer doing this. Um, and so, it's, currently in Africa, much of the advice is given in English, which is, which is not a language people speak. So we're just hardly beginning to scratch the surface of, of what, but. Uh, you know, what could be done. Many people have mobile phones, so we could connect all these things together. Now, finally, people, are you, I'm asking you if you're optimistic or pessimistic about finding solutions, uh, practical solutions and applications to climate change. But surely the fact that you can gather so many people here at a, co- a conference, surely the road to Copenhagen, the fact that people are talking about you know, cutting our emissions uh, preceding 2010, the film The Age of Stupid, doesn't this all lead up to a tremendous momentum for change? No, it's absolutely the reverse, actually. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm extremely pessimistic and realistic. I mean, we were, we were talking this morning about triage uh, in, in adaptation. I mean, the China, uh, who I went to and wrote about recently, I mean, they, they are expecting to double or treble their emissions 
they've more or less accepted that uh, Western China is going to become a desert. Um, so actually, it may well be there are parts of Africa uh, that simply will not, it will not, will not be sustainable. Uh, and one of the points about data is to find out what parts of your country are sustainable. We are going to abandon part of our coastline. We're not going to defend it. The Dutch are because they're a smaller country and they're going to put a lot of resources in. So actually, um, part of the problem is to recognize the, 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 the gravity of the situation and then make sensible decisions. And, and as we said this, heard this afternoon, actually the most immediate problems are this just extraordinary growth of the population in Africa. People pouring into cities, um, which are going to be very hot, shortage of water, um, problems of pollution. Um, it, it's an absolutely ginormous problem. Um, and and but therefore we've got to focus the limited resources just on the areas that are going to have maximum help. We're not going to go back to a green and pleasant land in these countries. But your pessimism, surely the politicians uh, will find public policy solutions because of necessity, necessity being the mother of invention. I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, they have to operate within within a budget. They have to operate, obviously, within the, within the climatic situation. The world has made this extraordinary emissions over the years. The point being that even if we, we, we even did sort of quite extraordinary things of stopping it, which is not going to happen, um, that we still the, 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 these these trends would would continue for. 30, 40 years, in, uh, in a period, of course, where we're having this um, doubling of population, d um, more than a half, and maybe 60% of Africans will be living in urban areas, which is a pretty, gr a pretty a grim situation. Um, and what we've just got to do is to find the, the, you know, the least worst situation, um, and science is absolutely essential for doing that. And I just think, I just think we've really got to move away from this, I'm afraid, rather, rather um, rosy view being, being, being pushed around by our, afraid our politicians. Finally, would you then have a message for all the countries that, that gather for the uh, G20 summit of the road to Copenhagen? Yes, my, my message is that you, uh, as others have said, indeed have got to say, adaptation, but, uh, but realistic adaptation, and adaptation in the areas where we can adapt. There are some of the areas where it may be too expensive and too late. Professor Julian Hunt, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Water Initiative Implications of Regional Climate Variability on Water Resources in Africa podcast series today. I shall heed your words. <laughs> thank you very much.